Have you ever thought about making a complete life change? My guest this week has done just that. For years, Sam Walker was a BBC radio presenter and journalist in Manchester and had regular shows on Five Live. One day, she decided to up sticks and move with her other half and two kids to Arizona. She does a podcast about the challenges she's been facing along the way. Sam Walker's Desert Diaries. It won big at the British Podcast Awards. Hello. Arizona calling and I genuinely thought I would never say this sentence in my entire life <laughs> but whisper it I'd quite like it to rain <laughs> oh you've changed Walker you have changed just a year out of the Manchester drizzle and you've become a desert dweller I know I am genuinely shocked. Now, look, as much as I loved living in England and Manchester and, you know, I may well do that again one day, I never, ever, ever thought I would actually miss rain. However, this week marked more than 100 days since a single drop of rain fell in the valley. 100 days! In fact, that did pass a few days ago now. And although there's been quite a lot of cloud over the past few days, yeah, thanks, just in time for Neowise Comet to show up for the first time in a gazillion years. Thanks, clouds. Um, it does mean that second summer just hasn't rolled into town yet no sign of those promised monsoons until this point the whole summer being totally boiling hot has made me feel like we're on holiday all the time which is just lovely because i suppose we're lucky enough that we do have a pool so even with the loads of work i've had on just being able to nip outside and float around in the pool or sit on the pet shelf for 10 minutes dodging enormous wasps has just been ace but Again, I've surprised myself. There have been two days this week I haven't even got in the pool. I haven't even gone outside. I think the heat and the relative humidity and the cloud and the fact that Arizona is still reporting so many COVID cases every single day means that everything's felt just a bit bleh. Meet Sam Walker soon. Also, the Hollywood scriptwriter Ken Levine will talk about working on a film with Tom Hanks. And Chicago radio legend Jonathan Brandmeier will talk about the time two old geezers went at each other on the air. I'll be counting down the top 20 podcasts right now based on downloads and your recommendations at thepodcastradio.co.uk. I'm Graham Mack, reminding you that this show is available on your DAB radio, on your PC, on your smart speaker and on your smartphone. And as none of those devices are over 50 years old, they won't be told to isolate to prevent a second wave. Into the chart now, and at number 20, the Adam Buxton podcast. Adam's latest guest is the writer Zadie Smith. 19, Morning Joe from MSNBC. Top newsmakers, Washington insiders, journalists and cultural influencers come together on Morning Joe for unparalleled insights and analysis. At 18, it's Sam Walker's Desert Diaries. This podcast has won an award at the British Podcast Awards, so well done, Sam. Thank you. <laughs> no, I still can't quite believe it. <laughs> um, I'd still It's about the only kudos I have with my 12-year-old daughter is that I was in the I was mentioned on the same in the same sentence as George Ezra. That's it. That's pretty well, he, good. He got silver mum and I'm like, yeah, no, but you know, I was mentioned in the same sentence as him. So there is a little bit of kudos there, but the only kudos I've ever had or will ever had with my 12 year old. So happy days. 
It's a shame you, it wasn't an actual ceremony because of the situation we're in, and it was a, a virtual thing, though, wasn't it? Did that, was that disappointing? Well, it, it is what it is. I mean, I think there's, there's been so many conferences I've meant to have gone to and, and events to take part in that have just fallen by the wayside since March. So really, it, I think they did a really good job. I mean, it, it was so challenging with all the different technology they had and trying to get the people on the doorsteps who were the winners. But, and I love the sort of Oscar-style uh, you know, pictures on the screen in the Zoom rooms that we were all in. So I think they did a good job. And happy days. I only needed to get dressed from the waist up, Graham. So, you know. Yes. Very pleased. <laughs> so did they do you? I didn't actually see it. Did they do you on the doorstep thing in Arizona? Well, no, because they only went to the doorstep of the gold winners, not the silver uh, okay, bronze. Okay, all so, right. So, uh, yeah, I did say, they, asked, they got in touch, you know, a few weeks before, as they did with all the nominees, and said, look, if you win, can we have your address? And I was like, you can? <laughs> I don't think you're going to be rocking up, but you, <laughs> here it is anyway. No worries. <laughs> so let's get a bit of background then, uh, how you ended up where you are, which will lead into the podcast. So after 16 years... As a very, very well-respected BBC presenter and producer, you, you quit the whole thing and started a new life. Tell me about the journey there and the thought process. Oh, it still it seems <laughs> insane when you say it like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, as I know you would have heard, the, the first episode of the podcast, I mean, they're all very short, short episodes, all the episodes, but the first one's a really long one. So it's about 14 minutes. Um, but it talks about that whole process. And I think it was just, you know, a mixture of so many things. I think we've all got that little dream, haven't we? Whatever it might be, whether it's to move to America or another country, whether it's to quit it all and work with horses, whether it's to breed miniature guinea pigs, whatever your little dream that you've always wanted to do, we all have one. And it was just something that never went away in my head. And, and it was something that my husband, Dave, and I just talked about all the time. We'd love to do that. We'd love to do that. We'd love to do that. And a bit like when we decided to have children, we'd always thought we want to have kids. We want to have kids. And then at one, one day we went, if we don't do it now, it's never going to happen. We're never going to have enough money. We're never going to have the right house. We're never going to be the right point in our careers to have a child. We've got to kind of just do it if we want to do it. And I think for a variety of different reasons, we reached that point a couple of years ago where we thought, wait a minute, what? every time we go to the States, we're like, oh, I'd love to live here and see what it's like. We'd love to try it. Then we'd go home and do nothing. We do nothing about it, apart from we'd be a bit miserable and think, oh, it'd be great to take a chance. But it's frightening, right, to take a chance and take a risk. So lots of things happened. And I was at that stage in my life as well, where we just thought, if we don't, try we didn't know if it would work if we don't try i think we're going to kick ourselves and so we were visiting a friend also a radio friend ian canfield really close friend of mine we were visiting him in phoenix he'd moved out here a few years ago to work in radio and he'd been to visit us the year before when we were in san diego and given us the big sell about this desert city surrounded by mountains and cacti where for two months of the year it's so hot you can barely go outside where there's coyotes and javelinas these kind of crazy little desert pigs and scorpions and snakes and it's just this amazing wild west city and he talked, he kind of sold that to us. And so we came to visit the next year. And so it was in 2018 that we were standing in his pool, having been in Phoenix a full 24 hours, where my husband Dave just turned to me and went, this is it. Let's do it. Let's try it. 
and he got his phone out and he literally, he works in tech. He Googled his job, senior data scientist, Phoenix, and a job came up. And there and then in the pool, he applied for it. And we had a laugh and we put the phone down and we went, ah, ha, 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 ha. And then two weeks later, we were watching yet another animated children's film at the Trafford Centre Cinema in Manchester. And his phone kept ringing and it was an American number. And we were like, who's ring? Who's this? And when he picked it up, he realized it was his company going, hey, can we talk? And I'll give you the short version to say, the rest is history. The long version is, of course, visa processes, terrifying decisions. Are we actually going to do this? Will it work? What if we hate it? And all the things that come in between that moment in the pool and us sitting on a 747 taking off from Manchester with me sobbing going, what have we done? <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> it's been a wild ride. And long may it continue, Sam. It's the pod 20 back to the chart now. And at number 17, the football weekly from the Guardian at 16. That's why we drink. Chilling ghost stories and terrifying true crime stories. The world's a scary place. And that's why we drink. At 15, Dan Snow's history hit. The most exciting and important things that have ever happened on the planet. At 14, Hollywood and Levine. From the Hollywood scriptwriter and director Ken Levine. Ken, you've worked on many sitcoms, as well as an early Tom Hanks movie called Volunteers. My wife and I went to see that when we were dating. Oh, that was one we saw in uh, Whangarei, New Zealand at, uh, at the Odeon. And uh, and I still think it was, a, it was quite a good film. What was that experience like? Producer came to us, Walter Parks, in like 1980. And this is a typical saga of a movie. He came to us in 1980 and had this basic idea of a preppy asshole from Yale who, to escape, you know, a, uh, a gambling debt, takes his roommate's place in the Peace Corps charter and winds up in the Peace Corps in Thailand. And we said, okay, now what? <laughs> and then we constructed stories and then the story changed and we we figured okay well let's do a thing where they have to build a bridge like uh, a bridge on the river kwai type of an ending and we find out that you know it was all engineered by the communists and they have to blow up the bridge that's fine so we had the first 20 pages getting them there and we had the last 20 pages blowing up the bridge but then it's like well, what happens like the next 70 pages in the middle? And we went around draft after draft after draft. And um, it went through studio after studio after studio. And it went through several directors. When we wrote the first draft, they said to us, who do you think would be great to play the part of Lawrence Bourne III? And we wrote it originally for Bill Murray. We thought Bill Murray would be would be good, although he was kind of aging out at that point. Mm. And we said, well, there's a guy on this sitcom on ABC, Tom Hanks, and he's like really good. And I think he'd be great for this. And they said, yes, no one's going to make a movie with the number two lead of bosom buddies, <laughs> you know, a number 40 show in the ratings. But we're with the same agency as Tom. We were with William Morris at the time. And they got Tom a copy of the script just for, you know, fun. 
And he read it and really loved it. But of course, no one was going to make a movie with him. So now you flash forward and it's 1985. Tom has done a couple of movies, including Splash. Yeah. And Splash was just that. Yeah. And he was suddenly the flavor of the month in Hollywood. And he was being offered every comedy in town. And he was getting just these giant stacks of scripts. And he was reading them and he just, no, no, no. And he said to his agent, you know, there was a a screenplay I read like five, six years ago about a guy in the Peace Corps. That was really funny. I remember really liking it. Can you get that script? And the agent said, well, that's kind of like finding a needle in a haystack, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. Now, this is the God's honest truth. That day, that very day, the movie had been set up with TriStar HBO Films. And again, we said, Tom Hanks would be great. So our producer calls the agent. This is like an hour after his conversation with Tom. And producer calls and says, hi, I've got a script I'd love Tom to consider. It's about a guy who welches on a gambling debt and joins the Peace Corps. And the agent said, here's his address, messenger it to him. You know, and I'm sure then the agent called Tom and went, okay, I found it. (laughs) (laughs) So the script went to Tom at 5.30 and he picked up the script and he opened it to the middle and there was a Margaret Dumont joke in it (laughs) that he remembered. (laughs) <laughs> and he saw the Margaret Dumont joke, and he went, this is the script. So he got the script at 5.30, and I got a call at like 6.15 from our producer saying, Tom is in. Wow. Yeah. It was that fortuitous. And of course, on that movie, that's where he met Rita Wilson, and they're still married to this day. So I guess Tom and Rita... And you and your wife, right? <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know? you've made the connection, which is great. Exactly. Thank you very to- much for that, Ken. I've got another great story there. Yeah. Yeah. Never thought I'd have anything in common with Tom Hanks, but there you go. Thanks very much, Ken Levine. Ken will be back next week uh, to talk about growing up in Los Angeles in the 60s. Back to the chart now. And at number 13, the Mark Levin podcast. Mark is one of the hottest properties in US talk radio today. At 12, today in focus from The Guardian, the podcast that brings you closer to Guardian journalism. Back into the chart soon. Let's check in with my guest this week. It's Sam Walker from Sam Walker's Desert Diaries podcast. Sam, you moved to Arizona from Manchester. Did you have to take your driving test again? Had to take a driving test, which, yeah, was, I was really scared. I mean, I told him when I was 17. Yeah. I mean, bizarrely enough, this man, bless him, I don't think he was born when I first took my driving test. That's how young he was. And I got in the car with him and he went, how are you doing? And I went, oh, I feel really nervous. And he went, it's okay. You, you got this. You got this. And I was like, you're so sweet. But at the same time, I was like, you're a child. This is crazy. Um, but it was, it was ridiculously easy. I mean, you have to take a full written test beforehand. And I last took an exam in about 1990. I mean, goodness me. I just, I, that for me was a big deal. Some of the questions, Graham, are amazing. Um, if you're driving along a freeway and a dust storm rolls in, what should you do? <laughs> a, put your lights on. B, 
turn your lights off, C, pull to the side. I mean, it was just, what? Uh, one sign was like, what does the, what, one question was, what does this sign mean? And the answer was rodeo ahead. Um, <laughs> another question was, uh, you know, you're pulled over the, by the police and you have a firearm in your car. Do you A, B, C or D? And there wasn't an option of, I'm never going to have a firearm in my car. It's never going to happen. So uh, that was trickier than the test itself, which was basically getting in. I mean, they're go-karts here, the cars. They're all automatics. It's yeah. spectacularly And the easy. roads are really wide and there's no roundabouts. Oh, yeah. There's no, well, there's a few traffic circles as they call them here. Oh, and everyone okay. freaks out as soon as they get near them because most people don't see them. The biggest joke was I had to parallel park. I'm in Phoenix. Every single parking space here is a big, huge parking lot in a mall. I've never known anyone have to parallel park ever. So that was funny. Luckily, I spent many years in London and Manchester, so parallel parking was not a problem at all. And being away now, how long have you been away so now from the UK? Just over a year. Just over a year. May. We moved here in May 2019. Yeah. How has your view of Britain changed looking at merry old England from the outside? I... I'm not like one of those expats who moved to another country in a, a very disparaging of the country where I lived in for the first 40 odd years of my life. You know, I've met plenty of people here who are like, oh, that country's gone to the dogs or, oh, it's a, it's a dump. I absolutely do not feel that way. I've got really great fondness, really great fondness. I'm, we may move back. I don't know. You know, I don't, I, one thing that this last year has taught me is it's really hard to plan for the future because you don't know what, the life, what life is going to throw at you. So I would not be against returning to the UK. I don't, like I said, I don't feel like one of those people who's moved and it's like, yeah, good riddance. I feel massive affection towards it. Um, I really miss some people there. I really miss my dad who's still in the UK. I, you know, and I've, that's one thing during lockdown I've struggled with. It was almost a bit easier when everyone in England couldn't see any of their friends and family either. Um, now it's started to open up a bit and I've got all the pictures of grandparents being reunited with their grandchildren. I think, oh, I, I can't do that. You know, I can't get to Australia where my mum lives. I can't get to, well, I can fly into England, but I can't get back out again because I'm not a permanent resident here. So I, I wouldn't be allowed back in. Um, I think the things that I have realised about the attitudes that I experienced from a lot of my working career is it's okay to big yourself up. It's not a problem in this country. You walk into a room and you tell people how good you are. That is, we don't do that as British people. It feels very weird to do that. Um, I mean, I, I was on a call the other day and actually the person, it, we happened to be all women and the kind of chair of the meeting went, okay, let's just do a lady brag to start. Tell me, tell me why you're brilliant at what you do. I found that very hard. <laughs> I was thinking, I'm British. We don't, we don't do that. We just, we expect people to know that we've worked hard and blah, blah, blah. So that, that is something I've noticed is that we're not very good in my experience in the UK of, of really shouting about how great we are. I think here there is less of, um, less of a problem around asking for what you want. Yeah. Whereas in England, we might be a bit more, oh, well, I really want that, but I don't really want to ask that because I want to seem greedy and I don't want to seem pushy and I don't want to seem like, oh, I don't want to get above myself because why should I earn that much money or ask for that much for a project? Or here it's like, no, you ask for it. If you don't ask for it, you're never going to get it. Yeah. And that is something 
that I'm 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 learning to do, and it's and I like that. Good in your business because you're you're running a business. You've got to be an entrepreneur. You've got to wheel yeah. and deal. So to feel comfortable with that would actually be an advantage. I would have yeah. thought. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think you know that's definitely been something. You know, a few times I've pressed send on a quote and gone, ah! and in my head I've got people going, "Well, I don't know who she thinks she is." You know, goodness me, why would she be the right person for that project? And then people have come back and gone, "Great." And yeah. I thought, "Oh, oh, okay, woo." That's for more. So, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that's what my husband says. Like when if they don't argue you down, you've you've not asked for enough. And I'm going, ah. <laughs> so I think you know that's that's definitely something. Not being within a kind of corporation environment as well as as that's helped me kind of expand and grow and and you know it's been really interesting to see how things that make us flinch as brits it's not an issue here you know at all it's a huge cultural divide sam walker more from sam soon we'll find out what podcast she listens to back to the chart and at number 11 it's case file true crime fact is scarier than fiction at 10 it's grounded with louis theroux and at number nine this week, the Jonathan Brandmeier Showcast. Johnny B is a Chicago radio legend, a member of the Radio Hall of Fame. Johnny, you've done a lot of TV as well. I think my favourite was when you had the two old blokes on who both claimed to be the sailor in the famous photo kissing the nurse in Times Square after the war. Yeah, the, uh, the guy who said he kissed the girl on the cover of Life magazine, the nurse, and then another guy said he's the one who kissed the girl on Life magazine. We got them both to argue together. They hated each other. This was that picture yeah. at the end of the Second World War in New York. And, yeah. yeah, and one yeah. of them said yeah. he was the sailor, and the other one said, no, he was the sailor. And they yeah. th- each thought the other one was a fraud, and they were, yeah. and you were just loving it. You were like the ringmaster of this fight. Of these yeah. two old geezers. That. that was fun. That was fun. That was a local show. I, I really enjoyed doing that show. Right. Um, yeah, they're just fighting over who was the, the most iconic picture in the history of Life magazine. There's the sale the World War II ends. I did it. I did it, you son of a bitch. I'm the one who kissed it. You didn't kiss it. And I'm just like, what the hell? Because I, oh, okay. yeah. I, I first heard that bit on the radio. So you must have done them on the radio as well. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It was, it was, I see the one thing with me is you may have noticed with you, I don't like to let things go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> once I started, I go, okay, wait a minute. That's not enough for me. And by the way, in the old, in the old, the, the newer version of radio where you had, you know, like you said, all these setups and it's quick and it's got to be done. You couldn't follow up. You couldn't build it. The audience could see us trying to build something and they liked that. Yeah. They liked yeah. Gives them a reason to hang around. It gives them a reason to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of all this science. Yeah. Yeah, but Graham, I wasn't doing it in a way that, hey, man, if I can just get past the quarter hour, they're going to come with me. I didn't give a rat's ass. I'm doing it because I'm trying to think thinking out loud. What are we going to wait a minute? This old man is mad at this old man. Hey, get that old man, the other old man on the phone. Let's get those two talking. And then, yeah. And then people would call up and say, no, you got to get the nurse. Oh, wait a minute. Good idea. Get the nurse. You see, they're in on it. Yeah. And you don't have that today. So if you can do something live, it's uh, it's always much better. There's no doubt about it. But everyone's afraid of it. And now what you got on the live versions of all talk shows, all angry white men saying the exact same thing. Yeah. All angry white men saying the exact same thing. Every day. You heard one, you heard them all. That's the end of it. Yeah, why you is that? I, mean? I asked, uh, who I, I had a guess. I had uh, Michael Harrison, the, the editor of Talkers. I had him uh, on the show. And I asked him that question. I said, why is so much of, of AM radio in America 
these these is is am does it stand for angry man i mean what 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 what, what 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 is why is that i mean tv <laughs> seems to have the more liberal personalities like you know jimmy kimmel and and bill maher yeah. but radio has these these to the right of center angry mm. men why is that and he just said he reckoned it was a, a point of view that was underrepresented in in u.s media or something and so it it, it, I, I, I don't know. Was that? Did you know. get pressure for that when you with the Westwood One show? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because your just, show uh, wasn't because... like that, but a lot of the stations oh. that took the show were like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, more political. I remember the very that guy you talked to, Mr. McVeigh. Uh, you know, the very first show we did uh, on Westwood One, which is more I mean, people who don't understand this, it was a more uh, like we said angry political time. Trump was beginning to run for president. And uh, you had Donald on the show. I know that. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. correct. Because, you know, you were just it was I was asking him if he was going to release if he were to become president, would he release um, Richard Simmons from his hostage situation <laughs> from his home housekeeper? Something like that. It was like stupid. Yeah. So um, uh, the 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 what were we talking about? West, oh, the lie. Oh, yeah. The political stuff. So the very first show. Um, you speak of Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, David Lee Roth was on the uh, Jimmy Kimmel show and he comes out there to do his live performance with the band and he breaks his nose. And I thought, that's completely nuts. So I called Jimmy, get Jimmy on because everybody was reporting what happened. What happened to his nose and nobody understood. And Jimmy explained what happened. Yeah. So I have a meeting. Yeah. Uh, Johnny. I mean, oh, Johnny, listen. Uh <laughs> You, uh, they, they, I got a lot of complaints from the affiliates that you're talking to Jimmy Kimmel about David Lee Roth's nose being broken. And I said, yeah, that's news. That's, it's like news to me. It's, 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 it's in the news. It's news. That's not the kind of news we want. Not nose news. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, that's not the kind of news we want. You know, we got to be more political. So, uh, yeah, that's a guarantee. Then, then see you later, buddy. Right, didn't they work didn't, out. It's funny thing about that part. That part, Westwood One. There's two things about it. Uh, one, you should have seen my clock, Graham. Only you and people on radio will get it. the clock was unbelievable. Bing, boom, boom, boom. So the first time I was on, I just thought, well, I can just kind of miss that break that I always did, and I'd go to the next break, right? Yeah, and I get the calls. You just knocked 115 stations out of sync because you missed your break, right? It's like, oh, okay, oh, okay. <laughs> so, um. Uh, I would. Uh, I was proud of that. That I actually could do that. Yeah, because you got really quite good at that. Actually, to be boom, fair. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Yeah. That, I thought I did, and that, that's not. I don't, I'm not proud of it. It's, but I'm just. Wait a minute. I can get. I. I just proved I could do syndicated radio. Ding, boom, bomb, boom, 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 boom. Did I like it? No. But did I? Did I kind of enjoy the the challenge of it? Sure. I'll get this in in 30 seconds. I'm going to get it in. Boom, 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 boom. So I think there's something to brevity. I get that. I understand that. Uh, but I did do that. But I remember um, I got fired through an email, but not from me. They emailed uh, our business guy and he said, just tell him he's fired. Okay. That was from the head of Westwood One. Wow. And when I got to the Hall of Fame in New York, guess who the first guy to kneel down, kneel down at my table at Westwood One was the guy who fired me. <laughs> Matt, well, you know, always been a big fan here, man. Congratulations, you know. 
Uh, I think he's still the boss, whatever his name is, Charlie somebody. I don't know what his name is. Yeah, these, you know what I'm talking. Yeah, about. Uh, these people they get they're funny. Mm. They get just close enough to it in cases of success, and they can say I was part of that. But they stay just far enough away. If it doesn't work, they go, Oh no, that's nothing to do with me. Yeah. I mean, they I are always, geniuses at keeping there. And the consultants. Who was it said a consultant is a guy who'll steal your watch and tell you the time? <laughs> yeah, listen. Why don't you write a book about radio? Because everything you're saying is like, you know, I thought of it, but I never knew how to articulate it. I think you've certainly done a fantastic job of that, Mr. Graham Mac. The G Mac attack is in full of force. Holy smokes. Yeah, you're right. Thanks, Johnny. Jonathan Brandmeier. This is the Pod 20, the definitive countdown of the top 20 podcasts right now, based on downloads and your recommendations at thepodcastradio.co.uk. At number eight this week, it's the Rachel Maddow Show. In-depth reporting on the current state of political affairs in the USA. At seven, Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe's lockdown parenting hell. It's parenting, just not as you know it. Back to my guest now. You probably heard Sam Walker when she was on Five Live. Now she lives with her other half and two kids in Phoenix, Arizona. Sam, what podcasts do you listen to? Well, I'm in that really strange situation where, um, because I make so many podcasts and I listen to audio all day long, it was a bit like I was at university when I, and I, I read English literature at uni and people would say to me, who are your favourite authors? And I was like, I don't know, because all I do is read books. And when I left, I didn't read a book for about four years. So now whenever I'm asked that question, I think, oh, goodness me, I don't know what my favourite podcasts are, because all I do all day is listen to podcasts and they're the ones that I make. Um, um, but thinking as a sort of bigger picture, I mean, I was totally inspired to make a podcast by Serial, you know, all those years ago. Yeah, sure. yeah, so, yeah. so, so yeah. many people were. Yeah. I've really enjoyed, and I'm not generally a fan of celeb podcasts because I have that and thing that I think is a ridiculous hangover for being a radio presenter. You know, when you slog your guts out to be a radio presenter and then someone wins some television reality show and gets the breakfast show and you're like, but I've tried to, what? And I, I remember, so I, you know, I'll be really honest that when a celebrity podcast comes out, I think, oh, give me a break. Now everyone's going to listen to that one because, you know, and I've got friends who've slogged in, in certain uh, genres or sectors for years of podcasting and then some someone from a boy band's wife brings one out and you think oh what so I mean I'm it is what it is but I don't generally listen to a lot of sort of celebrity podcasts I like to listen to ones that are you know a bit blah the Claudia Winkleman Tanya Byron one how did we get here I just thought was extraordinary yeah. and amazing where people who've got issues in their life sit down and I you know I really really enjoyed listening to that as I was, as you know, doing a lot of hiking around and driving around Phoenix, that one was really great for me. Oh my gosh, um, Dolly Parton's America. Yeah, I enjoyed. Yeah. I love. I thought that was really, really well put together. Really well put together. Um, can't even. Think. I mean, fortunately, with Fee and Jane for me, when I moved house and I found a bunch of scorpions in my house, and it freaked me out. No one else was there. The kids were at school. Dave was at work. I was there unpacking boxes and kept finding scorpions. Believe you me, when you find it's 
terrifying. And that day I put on vintage Desert Island discs and fortunately with Fee and Jane. And that got me through that day, that sense of normality. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. There are scorpions in your house, but you're listening to fortunately, it's all all right. <laughs> so there are things like that, that I, you know, when I do miss England, because I do, especially when things are hard here and I kind of miss that sense of security that, that I, I associate with England, um, I found podcasting can be really gentle. And then I'm a bit of a, I'm not very faithful to podcasts. So I like listening to episodes of certain ones. So when Ricky Gervais was on the Sam Harris podcast, I loved that. Yeah. And I listened to a few episodes around that. And I dip in and out. I mean, This American Life, I was obsessed with, obsessed yeah. with for years. Wide, isn't it? Yeah. Funnily, since I've moved here, I've not really listened to it, which is quite strange. Um, but yeah, I dip in and out. I have so many on my feed and I dip in and out. And, um, and yeah, it's wherever the mood takes me, really. I love them. Right. Well, the, the important one is Desert Diaries. Are there any more of yours that you'd like to plug? Well, my goodness me, um, I feel like I'd have to be having to choose between my children here. I could rattle off. I mean, there is, um, I do still have on, on, still up on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts is what goes on here, which is a series of interviews with people who kind of overcame extraordinary obstacles in their life, which I loved making and was huge therapy for me. <laughs> it was kind of free therapy to hear how people got through really, really bad times. I suppose other podcasts of the same vein have kind of come over and, and taken on, I mean, um, like how to fail with Elizabeth Day is kind of similar. Mine was obviously that tiny and hers was, hers is enormous, but, um, what goes on here is still up there. I ha you know, there's some more seasons to go up that, that were on audible exclusively, which, you know, I really love those interviews and I'm really proud of them. And they were really important to me to make those because it's the first kind of bit of creative audio that i had made and if you listen to desert diaries in that first episode that explains why on earth we were made this ridiculous leap it actually references an interview i did as part of what goes on here with a writer called craig who essentially um was in a dead-end job hated his life was in an apartment that had actual rats in it um which the landlord then put the rent up on and he quit his life and went he'd always dreamed of being a writer he quit his life made himself homeless and went and lived on a bench in a local park and he took pads of paper with him and he said, I'm either going to leave this park because I've written a book and I'm going to change my life or I'm going to die. And that's as strongly as he felt. And guess what? He did the former and he's a best-selling author and he's amazing. And he was a huge inspiration to me in ways that he will never know when I thought about making the leap from a life that was great to a life that could be even better. But you yeah. don't know till you try, do you? Yeah. And what's that one called? What Goes On Here with what Sam goes, Walker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 You're an inspiration, Sam. I'm Graham Mack, and this is the Pod 20, counting down the top 20 podcasts. And we're up to number six, which is Freakonomics Radio. Discover the hidden side of everything with Stephen J. Daubner, co-author of the Freakonomics books. At five, Revisionist History, Malcolm Gladwell's journey through the overlooked and misunderstood. I'm chatting with Sam Walker. Sam is my special guest this week she used to be a BBC radio presenter on Five Live and now does an award-winning podcast called Sam Walker's Desert Diaries. She moved to Arizona and when you got there you only knew one person. Yeah, we, we met a friend of his, a lovely friend of his, Kathy Coz, um, for about an hour. <laughs> so we kind of knew one in a bit, uh, but that was it. And, you know, it's spoiler alert as it comes in the podcast. Uh, he moved not long after we moved here. So then we didn't know anybody, but... Uh, <laughs> 
uh, yeah, it was, yeah, we didn't know anyone. It's a huge city, sixth largest city in the States. And yeah, we didn't know anybody. It's a big move, uh, a much bigger move than the one my wife and I made. My wife and I had been married. We lived in New Zealand. Julie's a Kiwi, and I was living in New Zealand at the time. And, and uh, we'd, lived, we'd got married, and three years later, we went for a week's holiday in Sydney. And I oh. said, this is great. And at the yeah. time, I wasn't in radio. I was an air conditioning engineer. Ah. So we went back home. We put the house on the market. And I think it was about six weeks later. We just arrived in Sydney, and we didn't know anyone. And... You know, um, I looked in the yellow pages and found a job, you know, fixing air conditioners and, and, and we were away and we didn't know anyone in Australia. And it's, it was in Australia I got, ended up getting into radio. So it all worked out great. But it is a, it, yours was a much bigger move for us. Like, you know, Sydney's only three hours from New Zealand. You, you're what? Is it eight? No, it's, a, it's probably a 10 hour flight. 12. 12. It's 11 and a bit direct from Heathrow, but from, yeah. you know, where, where a lot of our family and friends are in Manchester. And yeah, it's, it, you're looking at 12 hours easy. So yeah, it's quite a way. <laughs> and, and what have you been doing then for work? Because he'd have the work permit through his job. How about you? Do, do you get part of that as a spouse? No. So I have got my own visa, my own work visa. So uh, for the last, goodness me, four years of my on-air stuff with the BBC, I'd actually set up a company, What Goes On Media, where I produce podcasts for businesses and individuals and brands and organizations. And I set that up as a sort of side hustle because I really love create. I love creating stuff. I love making something. And I'd made a podcast, What Goes On Here, which had been commissioned by Audible, which is fantastic. So I'd made a few seasons of that. And then I just started slowly but surely to making things for other people. And again, it's one of those strange, strange moments where you realize that things that have happened over the last few years suddenly go like that. And you're like, oh, wow. So when I had that call following, I joined a, you know, a, an email list service from years before for American radio folk. And I started chatting with this brilliant woman who runs a podcasting company in LA. And we talked about collaborating because I was doing stuff in the UK and she was doing stuff in the US. And when I said to her, blimey, I think I'm going to move to the state. She went, come work for me. I, I you know, I, I, I want, I want you, I want to have you in my, in my back pocket. You know, I would love to have you as someone I could, I could help work on a lot of my projects. So I've got a completely separate work visa. So we're both on what's called an O one visa, which is the process of getting, it's just like some sort of horror story. It's so complicated. You have to evaluate your entire life and write everything down. But um, it's, it's, yes, it's quite, difficult and um so he's on a separate visa i'm on a separate visa um and so i've since i've been here i've been doing loads of work for her company i've been doing work for the clients i still have in the uk and i've yeah i've been crazy busy actually really really busy but really it loved it and it's been really exciting and even at times where i've just been working r ridiculous hours i think just meeting a lot of the reason of moving is i wanted to meet loads of different people and work on different projects and just have new experiences and that's absolutely happened which has been great some of those experiences have been awful as i'm sure if you've listened to the podcast you will know but a lot of them most of them you know hugely hugely positive and i've loved you know i'm currently working on a big podcast for a law firm in chicago i've just done one for a a big retailer an online retailer so it's it's been really exciting to do lots of different things and uh you know i still get a kick over the fact that people laugh at my accent all the time it's, i just forget 
Well, you'll be meeting people. I mean, you're not in New York or LA, or, or you, you, you'll be meeting people all the time that have never met an English person before. Yeah, I mean, Phoenix is a big city. It's yeah. not like it's not a quiet backwater. I think if I moved to one of the other towns in in Arizona, for sure, there there are some really small towns here. But I mean, Phoenix is a huge city. There's quite a large British population here, is unbelievably. There? Yeah, there is. I mean, I I haven't gotten fully involved, but there's quite a big sort of Brits in Arizona Facebook group, which is thriving. I've bizarrely met a bunch of British people since I've been here. Someone who's become a really close friend of ours on sort of day four of being here, we were walking our dog through the park and this other dog came up and really started barking at my dog. And a man came up and went, oh, sorry about that. And I was like, your voice sounds a bit like my voice. Where are you from? He went, Manchester. And I was like, what? And, you know, he was, he was from Presswich. So he's become really? a firm friend. It's, it's bizarre. There are quite a lot of Brits in the desert, unbelievably. But um, I think it's definitely still a novelty. And I found especially the children, <laughs> the children walk into a shop or if you walk into a coffee shop and they say, excuse me, can I have a... Everyone's like, oh my gosh, oh, the British children. Something about British voice on a child, which is a trigger in a positive way for a lot of American people. It's really quite lovely. Yeah, I think they're going through a whole Mary Poppins thing there. Or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Back to Sam in just a sec, but let's carry on with the chart. At number four, we've got that Peter Crouch podcast at three nice white parents from the New York Times. If you want to understand what's wrong with the schools in the USA, you have to look at what is arguably the most powerful force in shaping them. White parents. This is a five-part series from Serial Productions. My guest is Sam Walker, who's on Zoom now in Phoenix, Arizona. Sam, I do my podcast radio show from my wardrobe, and your setup looks very similar there. Well, it is kind of similar just lucky in the states that most bedrooms have walk-in closets so yeah. it's kind of like a big closet so i'm able it's it's very similar i've got a focus right interface i've got a few rode microphones i've got um a nice usb one i use outside when i'm doing zoom calls in my main office and you know it's it's great and it's and you know you said i'm not in new york and i'm not in la and in, in a weird way now doesn't matter where you are right it really doesn't matter where you are i mean as i said the one project i'm working on was a bunch of people in chicago a project i just wrapped i had a host in oakland in california interviewing people in places like jackson wyoming and south carolina and you know the company i do a lot of work for is in la and it doesn't matter where you are there's a great audio community here in phoenix actually and we did used to meet up before you know what turned up and ruined everyone's life um yeah. but hopefully next year we'll be able to meet up again because it's a lovely community yeah you picked your time didn't you you really did <laughs> i tell you what it's but like you say the business the business you're in with audio it's uh, it i think it's changed everything i think there's a lot of people once this is all over who will continue to work from home because it's just more efficient yeah. and, and, and you get more i did i did feel very lucky and i'm sure you felt the same graham i did feel very lucky that that when covid hit i know a lot of people really struggled with home working they really struggled with that transition of being in an office environment to working in a quite isolated way 
being audio folk, we're used to that. I mean, even even when we were, quote, in the office, maybe we were in a radio studio for four hours, three hours. We might have had a producer through the door, depending if we're on the BBC or commercial radio, quite often not. And it is, in a way, quite a solitary, unless you're part of a sort of big breakfast format, it's quite a solitary existence i'm you know i'm happy sitting with my headphones on editing away or writing and recording stuff in my little booth and and so that was one thing that i felt very grateful wasn't a big transition having two children yeah needing homeschooling and suddenly my husband going i need to use zoom now i was like you know that's been more challenging (laughs) but that's just family So getting back to to making the transition from living in the UK to living in the USA, what was the biggest adjustment? That's a really tricky question. Um, I think the things that have surprised me is a sense of not knowing how things work. And I'll explain. I mean, I'm, I'm in my mid-40s, probably late 40s now, I'm 48 now. And, you know, I've been a kind of grown-up quote and I've bought a house and I've sold a house and I've got married and I'd have children and I've got an accountant and all these things that kind of come with being, quote, a grown-up. And so I kind of thought I knew how things worked. Moving here, when you arrive here, you, you're a ghost. You don't exist. You have no credit history. I obviously didn't have any reputation here. I mean, you very kindly said, oh, you know, I'm a well-known radio presenter. No one knows who I am at all here, you know, and I found that hard when I was starting out getting some work because I couldn't go, I'm all, I was on Five Live for a zillion years. People would be like, oh, what? <laughs> no one cared. So, it, yeah, right. So it's been hard to slowly build a reputation up from times that has felt like scratch. But it, it's more a sense of being here I'll give you a very quick example. We arrive here. I, uh, my husband gets a paycheck. We want to go and open a bank account. Can we open a bank account, please? Yeah, sure. Can I have your driving license? Yes, here you go. What's that? Where's our driving license? No, it's not an American driving license. Well, we've only been here a week. We don't have a driving license yet. Oh, well, I can't open a bank account without a driving license unless you've got a utility bill. Well, we're in an Airbnb for two months because furniture's in the Atlantic. It's on a boat. We haven't, we haven't, got anywhere to rent yet oh so you don't have a rental agreement well no because we're in an airbnb because we don't have anywhere to live yet so you can't open a bank account what do you mean i can't open a bank account here's a check please let me give you no let's go and buy a car oh you've got no credit history we're not going to let you buy a car unless you buy it outright well i don't really have 30 grand lying around to buy a car or whatever it might be i can't remember um well, you, you, you don't have any credit history. I tell you what, we, we, you can give us $10,000 and then pay us $1,000 a month. And, and that's okay. You know, it's exhausting and really difficult. And I didn't realize how tricky that would be uh, just to get set up. My children's school, they didn't have the right immunizations under Arizona state law to be accepted into a school because they demand chickenpox immunizations here. And I'm like, they had chickenpox when they were babies. They don't need the jab. Oh, Arizona state law says you do. So there were a few things like that, that just everything felt incredibly difficult to do something as basic as getting your child into a local school or opening a bank account. The driving test was, again, we needed to have utility bills to prove our address before they'd let us apply for a driving license. It was catch 22. And at times... You know, that felt completely insurmountable. 
And all the time, we're also trying to adjust to a life in a new country and make sure our children aren't feeling a shock of the transition. My husband's starting a new job. I'm started working with some people remotely and, you know, it's, it can be massively overwhelming. You did it though, Sam, and you're continuing to do it. More from Sam Walker next week when she'll talk about pre-Arizona, how she ended up hosting a regular show on national radio in the UK. Back to the chart now, and we're very close to the top. At number two, the Joe Rogan Experience. Joe's latest guest is Dr. Deborah So, who is a former sex researcher, neuroscientist, columnist, and podcast host. Which means... Number one... for the second week... Shagged, married, annoyed. The only way Rosie and Chris Ramsey can have a conversation without being interrupted by a toddler or ending up staring at their phones is by doing a podcast. That's it for episode 15 of the Pod 20. I'm Graham Max. To this week's guest podcasters, Ken Levine, Jonathan Brandmeier and Sam Walker. If you'd like to watch extended Zoom chats with all of my guests, check them out on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Next week's guest is John Holmes. John is a comedian, writer and broadcaster who's been fired by Virgin Radio, BBC Six Music, LBC, Talk Radio and Radio 4. He holds the record for the largest Ofcom fine in UK radio history. How's your back, John? (laughs) Yeah, that was... um, I mean, I'll be honest with you, this is the only chair I can sit in in the house. (laughs) Sofas are not my friend at the moment. Uh, it's fair to say. Um, I managed to, uh, I was at a friend's uh, 50th. Uh, I'm not saying refreshments may have been taken, Graham. Okay. I'm not saying that. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, I was attempting to negotiate. They've got a sort of terraced garden. Right. Uh, and I was attempting to negotiate my way down from the garden on some very steep decking style steps about six of them and on one of the steps i wasn't counting i may have slipped my children say we bless them for their excuse giving they say i slipped on a slug i'm not sure that's true <laughs> but i'll take it yeah. and i and i was carrying a tray of things and i uh, you know when you sort of um you don't just slip down you sort of go you sort of lose contact with the ground completely and i did and i sort of went upwards but came down right on my back on the edge of a step on the edge Uh, of the step on the edge of a step yeah Uh, not the spine part though it's down it's on the left hand side at the back so the spine is intact but the soft tissue is not according to the nice lady at the hospital (laughs) but you will make a full recovery I will. Uh, well, I'm on my finger. I mean, I'm on. This could go anyway because I'm on codeine and diazepam. So I don't know what is going to happen during this. I mean, uh, you know, I'm essentially slightly out of a. I mean, I'm fine. In fact, I'm quite annoyed because I, I mentioned on Twitter that I was on. I've been given diazepam and I've never had it before. And everyone was going, oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> and I've had no effect whatsoever apart from feeling slightly drowsy. So it's, the, it's a rubbish drug as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, if you need to uh, take a nap in the middle of this, let me know and yeah, we can come I back. Go, just verbally prod me. Right? <laughs> oh, okay. I'll, I'll, be, um, I'll be fine. All right. <laughs> now, before in the run up to this, I, I, I Googled you, obviously, to, to get a little bit of information. Never do that. Did you spell my name right? Because you'll get a horrific shock. Well, Uh, funny you should say that. 
uh, first of all, a book came up and a book with the title of A Life Measured in Inches. And I thought, well, I know John is only five foot four, but A Life Measured in Inches, that's sort of a, an understatement of a man's life and achievement. And then it turned out it wasn't you at all. No, it's a very different John Holmes. But if he hadn't, if that title hadn't been used for his book, yes. it's, a, it's a title... I definitely would have used for mine. Okay. Um, I think. But not for the same reasons. So. No, no. So has having a porn star's name been an advantage? Mm. Well, it's it's neither an advantage nor a disadvantage because growing up, I suppose, no one was that familiar with his oeuvre. Um, <laughs> because all we had um, as gentlemen of a certain age, well, and ladies of a certain age had, you know, was the, was the uh, pornographic internet of the hedge near in the field near where you live. Yeah. Um, where the ma people left magazines. Yeah. Um, as has been spoken about many times uh, by various stand-up comedians in their sets. But, uh, so we had that and, and, and it was only with the advent of VHS that we became aware that, um, you know, you could go to the newsagent and hire I'm just off the top of my head, pretty peaches yeah. um, from the news agent who didn't really care about your age that much. Yeah. And, and, and that John Holmes was not in any of these films. You see, he was, um, we were familiar with the work of Ron Jeremy, I believe around about that sort of age. He's another of, of that genre, another performer of the genre. So the John Holmes thing only cropped up a little bit later. I, I don't remember exactly when, when it is an issue is when I've ever interviewed uh, Hollywood a-listers for whatever radio program right. okay so you always you know you get you've you know you get i don't know bruce willis wheeled in um and and his pr goes you know and he's in you're the 27th on a conveyor belt of presenters interview bruce willis about whatever he's promoting and and then you, the without fail the pr will go uh, mr willis or wh whoever this is uh this is for whatever radio station this is john holmes and they look at you and they go uh like the like the porn star and it's a good <laughs> icebreaker if i'm honest okay it, it starts the interview off in a in a much better way than saying hello mr willis tell me what your film's about it's much better to go in yeah. going on hard porn if you see what i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wonder if anyone's ever asked him as a first question how's the back yeah well, I mean, not unless he'd been stupid enough to slip on a slug, which yeah. I don't think happened during no. his pr protection of the Nakatomi Tower. Yeah. Uh, had he slipped on the slug, it would have been an entirely different film. John Holmes, looking forward to chatting with you next week on the Pod 20. And what will happen on the podcast chart next week? Will Shagged Married Annoyed stay at number one for another week? Or will Joe Rogan push on to the top? Will your favourite podcast be at number one? Find out with me, Graham Mack, and influence the chart by making a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more.